A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an ABC podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. There's the Simon. Groundbreakers. History makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for the end of the world's longest football season. I am your host, Emma Race, and I am, of course, joined for the grand finale of 2020 by all of my football loving lady friends you know i'm gonna let them introduce themselves i'm pumped i'm alicia hi it's felicity race hi it's julia kiera hi it's kate sear hello it's lucy race here nicole you're on mute sweet (laughs) (laughs) this is the reality of 2020 what's your name howdy Nicole Hayes here. This is Rana Hussain and I've got the giggles. Shelley Ware. And Tess Armstrong. Oh, well, this is just going off so smoothly. No problems at all. We've got 10 people zooming in from 10 different locations. We haven't seen each other for about 16 weeks now. Enough time for Tess to gestate a baby. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but it is grand final week and this is the last pod of the season that started at least 300 years ago. We're going to go straight into some exciting news. I want to get the, low, the total lowdown from your house, Tess. You are a tiger and your husband is Geelong. There's a lot riding on this. What's the mood in your house? The mood is currently still at nervous laughter, which is a nice place to be in. There was um, a bit of denial on all of our parts because for context, Richmond and Geelong have never actually been good at the same time in our lifetime. I grew up in Geelong and I didn't bury for them. It didn't matter. I did when I was little, but it doesn't matter when you don't go for them when your team's bad and irrelevant. But then our team came good. And, but Geelong still had the wood over us. And so the hometown still had the advantage. My husband still had the advantage. And then everything changed in 2017 when our world changed and Richmond became good and Geelong was still good, but we still beat them. So it's complicated because we've played in finals. Last year's prelim was a really testing experience because, of course, they were up by quite a lot and then we beat them. But my husband knew to leave the MCG, allow me to hug and sing, imagine that, with a whole lot of strangers. Um, And we were having an absolute ball and then we never spoke about it again and it was glorious. And then, you know, it was completely forgotten. So on the weekend, it absolutely never occurred to me, even though we were both in the prelims, that we actually would be playing in the grand final because I was in a um, river called Denial. And so I was just having like a delightful life. And then all of a sudden, the siren went and we were like, (laughs) so now I feel like we're going to descend into Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy before they fall in love very swiftly, like arrogant, smug, antagonistic, but it hasn't come yet. And so strap yourselves in, as Ross Lyon would say, because I'm sure it's on the way. You're the Kellyanne Conway and George Conway of AFL football. And I'm Bobby, Bobby the dog is going to get on TikTok and blow the lid on this one. <laughs> Rana, you're also a tiger. Um, did Richmond's performance fill you with confidence uh, going into the grand final? No, it didn't. 
<laughs> There's really two answers for me here. There's the TIGS answer and maybe an honest answer, which I probably just gave you. Look, I think Geelong at their best this season might just be better than Richmond. But the thing about Richmond is they know how to win. They have immense belief in themselves and in each other. And I caution anyone tipping against the Tigs this weekend. Uh, but, yeah, look, it was, a, it was a tough game against Port and I can't say that I'm not nervous. Nicole, I'm going to ask you to um, put yourself off mute for a second. Um, you're from a family full of cats. Geelong was dominant, but did that mean that there was not anxiety watching the game at your house? Oh, well, I was just relieved it wasn't, they weren't pitted against me for once. It was, you know, I could be the, the calm, cool head in the room, which was pretty great. Um, look, I mean, it was fairly decided from a, a, you know, they made a good start and, and things didn't look too shaky for them at all. But if you love your team, you do not make a good football fan. Like, that's just a reality. You All you want to do is flog the other team. And unless you're like 100,000 points up, you just never feel confident. But, you know, on the upside, everybody was on the same page for once. And apart from messages from my brother, who's my twin brother's a tiger. So he was kind of warning them about what was to come. But uh, it was a fairly, you know, everyone was quite excited and then started being terrified about what would happen next week. So that kicked in pretty early. <laughs> this week, I don't know if you guys watched the Brownlow because you might have missed it because it was on Sunday, not on Monday, which turns out is a tradition I was quite wedded to. I wasn't prepared for it on a Sunday. Um, but Katie, it was interesting the way that it rolled out. I think statistically, and I'm not great with statistics, but I think it might have been the best round though because there was lots of votes for the winner and it was wrapped up in record time. Yeah, the wrapping up in record time was the absolute best aspect of it and I want that to happen every year from now on. But I did put together some stats, which which is unlike me, but obviously Lockie Neal won and a huge congrats to him. He got 31 votes from just 17 games. He had 10 best on ground performances in 17 games, which is absolutely amazing. He won by 10 votes. Uh, Travis Boat came second and Christian Petrarca and Jack Steele came in joint third. It was a 10 vote winning margin, which was just amazing. The equal biggest final lead in uh, Brownlow medal history. I wanted to put in, submit an entry to the Commentary Watch Hall of Fame, which is a new invention that I've just invented right now for the final pot of the year. Um, but there was a moment which I'm sure you all saw where Nat Fife, who was over Zoom and uh, did the kind of tribute to Lockie Neal and reflection on his season, then stopped and said to Lockie Neal, it's now time to present yourself with the medal. <laughs> and I felt so anxious watching it because poor Lockie Neal just stood there awkwardly like a rabbit in or deer in headlights for what felt like an eternity to me. Kind of unsure what that meant. And then eventually he turned around and realised that the Brownlow medal was sitting behind him on like a teeny tiny mannequin. And so he put it around his own neck. It was really weird. I was shocked to see footballers wearing actual clothes, including uh, one who was wearing, not wearing his helmet, which was Caleb Daniels, who was unrecognisable as a result. But I just want to share finally an omen watch that comes out of the Brownlow. This is from Sir Swamp Thing, who is on Twitter, is the king of stats. And he noted that the past seven grand finals have been won by the side that polled fewer Brownlow votes as a team collective earlier in the week. And this year... That was Richmond. Wow. Some fascinating um, omens there. Thanks, Katie. We've been talking about awards. I mean, the Brownlow's one thing, but we do have Football's Woman of the Year amongst us. Shelley, 
do you have to hand the helmet back at the end of 2020? <laughs> what happens next? Do you get to crown someone else? Will you get two years? Well, I think I get two years. Normally, I would go up and there would be this fantastic celebration and we would pass it on and I would do a speech. But because of COVID, it was all called off. So I think I'm Football Woman of the Years. I get to do two. Why is that? You get to play for <laughs> two terms. No formal announcement, just made that up myself. <laughs> I don't see who's going to wrestle it off you. There was another <laughs> nomination that caught my eye this week about Taylor Harris. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Ta- Taylor Harris has been named among 17 nominate- nominees for Victoria's 2021 Australian of the Year Awards. So AFLW Boxing All Round Awesome Human is in the running for the state's next Young Australian of the Year. So good luck to Taylor. Have you read her book on the bullying book? I've got it ready to give to my kids for Christmas. But there was something that the BBC put out this week. Actually, it was really interesting. Alicia, can you catch us up on what's been happening at the BBC? Yeah, so a BBC tweet went viral this week about Arsenal striker Vivian Medema, who broke an all-time women's Super League goals record with a hat-trick against Tottenham. So good. Not so much about the BBC's first tweet uh, that had the link to Medema's wonderful talent and record, but it was the second tweet after someone called, and this is official, Knob from Knob's End, perhaps not his real name, wrote, any chance the Beeb can put out a separate thread solely for the WSL? I have no interest in, and uh, some of the headlines are written as if it's the men's game. So I appreciate those who follow WSL and intend no slight. The Beeb wrote back, we're BBC Sport, not BBC's men's sport. And that tweet took off. And this was so important because obviously it's highlighting the language in sport and again, dropping the descriptor so we can make sport sport, not sporty McSport man face or something like that. And this is great because it comes off the back of a BBC sports survey that came out in August uh, about social media trolling that affects almost a third of elite British sportswomen, with many speaking out against horrific abuse on social media, reporting in the survey about constant comments on their appearance and sexist remarks questioning their right to play sport. And we know this isn't just British sportswomen as well, it's, it, it's worldwide. And as a result of these findings, BBC Sports strengthened its stance on combating hate speech on its social media channels and that is so important so the sporty mcsport man faces of the world can um settle down good on the bbc i think it was quite the popular (laughs) tweet it was amazing and they do have such influence in the world the way that you know things are covered and i know the abc takes their lead from the bbc a lot as well so i feel like there will be ripples all around the world lucy i want to come to you because we saw something hideous happen to brad ebert on the field during the week this year has been such a, a rolling story of concussions and research and now he's retired i felt sick watching that i'm sure you did too absolutely i really did and um When he hit his head on the ground, he instantly just did not look well. And I think all of the, everybody watching it felt that sense of horror. We heard straight after the game, pretty much that he had decided to retire. And it's been really interesting, I guess, listening to him talk about why that is. And concussion is, concussion is a reason. He'd had a concussion in 2019, which took him quite a number of weeks to come back from. He decided to play on this year. And 
unfortunately it was like his last action on the field that has resulted in that injury you, when you say about it being um one of the big stories of the year am i totally agree i think we started off early on this year learning that polly farmer had had cte and then heard recently that danny frawley had also been diagnosed with cte and we've also seen that insurance payout to sean smith what's really interesting is that i don't know whether you saw there was an announcement last week that the players are now going to be covered for any concussions going forward as the AFL Players Association has signed up to a new insurance policy. And I think that's great. It's a, it's a big change. The other thing that I really noticed this week, especially um, with the story around Brad Ebert, is Ken Hinckley saying, look, there's no way even if we had got over the Tigers and we were playing in a grand final, there's no way that I would have let Brad run out there. And I think that also hints to another big story and a story that I think will be on the cards next year is the role of coaches and how just how much weight sits on coaches' shoulders and the stress of that. Alistair Clarkson, I don't know whether you saw, was on 360 this week and he said something that Kath Lufnan tweeted out. He said, I'm a bit concerned for our profession. Hurdy, Bomber, Bales, Walshy, Lades, Spud, Pikey and now Reese Shaw. I'm concerned and I think the game should be concerned because it's an enormous burden to carry. We need to be doing something. I think what he's you know, talking about there is the stress that coaches, AFL coaches carry and I think that that's going to be something going forward that the AFL and the clubs have to look at how they support people in that position. And we wish Reese Shaw all the very best for a full recovery and just send lots of love to his family and to him through this next little phase. Going out in a prelim with a concussion and retiring off the back of that is one story. If you're Gary Ablett and you're about to play in a grand final and then retire after that, that's a whole other story. Julia, is that the biggest football story of the week? Oh, there's a lot of competing big stories, isn't there? But look, it, it, there's a few kind of fairy tales that might be played out this weekend. So you, Gary Ablett's is one, you know, coming back to Geelong to play out his last few years to perhaps win the third premiership that he missed out on um, in 2011 because he'd already moved to the Gold Coast. We've got Patrick Dangerfield, who's finally playing in his first uh, grand final. If he wins, it'll be a kind of big tick for players exploring their free agency because he also missed out on playing in a grand final with Adelaide. He'd, he'd moved over before that, but... We've also got Richmond who are looking to win that third grand final in 2020. And there's been the clip of Brendan Gale uh, going around uh, the interwebs where in, I think it's 2010, where they put forward their vision to, to win three grand finals before 2020. And they were met with scepticism by Gary Lyon. And, and it's a quite a beautiful clip to speak to having a vision and building a culture and uh, dreaming large and, and having a, a long-term plan and they might just get it. There's going to be some broken hearts at the weekend, I think, but there'll also be some people realising a kind of fated footy destiny, which is nice for this year. Do you think Brendan Gale wishes that in, instead of his wish of the three premierships, he'd said, I wish that I will win $96 million in Tats Lotto and then that came true in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's wasted and I'm sure that all of the Richmond fans um, are very pleased that he made that prediction. Um, there's clearly going to be no grand final in Victoria. The only thing from Victoria that's gone up there is that piece of grass 
whatevs. Seems ridiculous, right? But um, there'll be the, the grass from the MCG. But there'll be no grand final day here. And given the lockdown rules, there's not even going to be any barbecues. But the Storm and the Vixens are doing their very best for Victoria. Felicity, you've been following the Storm all year. And I think we all watch that Vixens grand final. It's extraordinary. And you know, some of the, I guess, the biggest stories that come out of it are around the retirements. You know, we saw um, Caitlin Thwaites um, end her career on a high and Tegan Phillip. To watch players like that have that opportunity to play in a winning grand final and then, you know, an exit on their terms is brilliant. When we look at the storm, Cameron Smith's currently being retired by media at the moment. And I always find that fascinating when uh, the speculation is around, will he or won't he? And you know, last week, I don't know if you saw the footage, um, but at Craig Bellamy's suggestion, the, the team carried him off, um, off Suncorp Stadium. And Bellamy, he's, he's often quite cheeky, said, I just thought it'd be a nice photo opportunity. You know, with, he's done a lot of state of origin stuff there, but does that mean he's retiring? Or is this like one of those really clever coaching moves where you put all the speculation and the talk from the media onto a potential retirement of, you know, the game's greatest sort of player in terms of the number of games played, et cetera? And then they forget to actually focus on can the team win and what else is going on. So it could be a very clever move. It would also be an extraordinary move for, um, I guess, for Cam Smith to come back again. 37 and still playing that game, that's pretty tough. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the Storm game and I'm loving their warm-up jumpers, um, you know, with the big V on it. It's a lovely little crossover to... Uh, to AFL, I think. Yeah, their match is on Sunday and I can't wait for that one. All right. There's, on the weekend, I've got to be honest, I sat back on the couch, pretty much got bed sores. I was watching sports coverage finals and election results rolling in and I was just kind of loving it. And I was thinking, wow, what an exciting crossover. And I thought for the final melee of the year, usually I say, do you want to roll up your sleeves and melee, ladies? But we've got a full quorum. So I thought, why don't we roll up our sleeves and caucus, ladies. <laughs> Tess, play the caucus music. I'll play it in oh, the one that's recorded. Oh, okay. I'll rehearse another time. I can see what you're doing, Kate Sear, by the way, changing my name as I talk on the Zoom screen. And you will pay for that. All right. The first, I want to go to a really full-on topic to begin with. How the caucus works is I will put out a topic and you have to be a yes or a no vote and we'll move into groups and then I'll read out what, what the final vote was. So the automatic stand down rule has had a lot of conversation this year. The NRL use it and uh, the AFL definitely needs something because, you know, we've had to face Jordan Dugowie playing and, of course, there was potentially uh, a problem with Elijah Taylor. When we're looking at um, allegations and alleged crimes that may have been committed off the field and then those players play, I want to know, do you think we should have an automatic stand-down rule in the AFL. I'm looking at everyone as they move. I'm seeing thumbs up, thumbs down. It looks like we've got a 5-5 split here. The yeses were Shelley, Nicole, Julia, Rana and Alicia and Lucy. Oh, hang on. Oh, no. So we've got a 6-5. We've got a Lucy, you're a yes. Why is that? So this is something I've actually changed my mind on this. I had always thought no, but for me, I've, I've started to think that yes, we should stand players down when they're facing allegations of serious charges. And my reason for thinking this is 
um, kind of twofold that organisations make decisions like this all the time. And already in, in the AFL, we've got a player like Willie Rioli, who's missed, I think, something like more than 400 days of football because of an alleged drug issue. We also, as organisations, make decisions about who is fit and proper. And for me, it really comes down to safety. Are we making decisions as a code and as an organisation and as clubs that prioritise safety? And for me, that's the, vic uh, the safety of the victim of alleged incidents, but also other victims of similar offences. And that has quite a lot of weight for me. As it stands at the moment, I don't think that organisations, and by organisations, I mean the AFL, but I also mean clubs and I particularly mean broadcasters, I don't think that they are equipped to manage all of the complexities. And what ends up happening is that we have people with very elevated status who are role models and are seen as role models and are talked about in that way. And my concern is that the way that we talk about them, knowing what is happening off field is shaping community standards. And that's the issue for me. So you just have to look at the news this week and see how many stories there's been about Dugowie because he's a free agent. So in some ways, you know, it's a perfect storm that he's got a court date coming up on the 30th of October. He's a free agent. And I just don't think that people are equipped, we're equipped to handle the complexities. So Ryan Daniels wrote a piece in the West Australian last weekend called The Elephant in the Room that for me is probably the best piece I've seen on this by a male journalist. Jessa Halloran's done a lot of great reporting in this area. I don't know if I've represented the yes team. Well, let's go to the no team. Well, I'll go to the team captain of no. It is, of course, Dr. Kate Sear. Uh, well, I think there shouldn't be a stand-down rule, and I've also talked a little bit about it on the pod before, but it's, yeah, I, I guess there are a range of reasons why I think that's the case. I think the first thing that we need to think about is if we're going to stand players down for any reason, we need to think about what kinds of allegations and what kinds of alleged offences we would be standing people down for. Is it a blanket rule for everything that people might be accused of or only some things? So would we stand people down if they were accused of drink driving or tax evasion or urinating in public or drug use or rape. And, and if we chose only certain kinds of offences and not others, we need to think about the kind of message that that sends as well, um, because that involves a, a, a value judgment that can have its own consequences, which I think are important to think through. The other thing, of course, is whether we, you know, despite how we might feel about this, the, the reality is that players are innocent until proven guilty. And being stood down from your employment doesn't necessarily mean that there is an imputation of guilt. But as I've said before, where I think it then becomes important and what I'm concerned about is the possibility that a stand-down rule then interferes with a separate criminal justice process, and particularly that the lawyers for the footballer in question would use the fact that they've been stood down as a reason to reduce any criminal sentence that they would receive once they've been found guilty. And the reason why they would do that is because they would say, well, look, my client, this footballer, has already suffered to some extent. They've already been penalised by their employer. That needs to be offset against any criminal penalty. And that's absolutely what lawyers would do. And although it would be for a court to then decide how to take that into account, I just want you all to imagine a scenario where a court decides that because player X missed out, say, on a prelim final or a grand final, 
Um, imagine a scenario where the court said, well, look, that's a very severe form of punishment. I think you've been punished enough and I'm not going to, say, send you to jail for a very serious offence as a result. That would have an unintended effect and I think a warped effect. It would be, uh, I think it would have the effect of doing exactly the kind of thing that Lucy quite rightly is concerned about in that it would make men's right, so-called, to play football even more important and the denial of that so-called right something that becomes like a legal wrong, like a, gra a grave injustice to the footballer and everything becomes warped in that sense. And it actually, the action by the employer, the AFL, actually then reduces the power of the law to sanction footballers with the full force of the law. And that's what I don't like about it. I think Lucy is absolutely right that a big reason why this is such a problem is that we exist in a context where the football broadcasters, most of the media, the commentators, who have been traditionally men have never known how to speak about this. They've stuffed it up for years and years and it's been stuffed up again this year. And the fact that commentators and broadcasters and clubs don't know how to speak about players who've been accused of offences, including sexual offences in particular, that they mismanage it repeatedly, that that adds to the suffering of victims is definitely a problem, but that is a separate problem that can be sorted out through a, through a separate means. And, and I think we shouldn't introduce a stand-down rule to solve that problem because that problem can be solved through education, through media diversity and perhaps better standards from the AFL itself. Okay, so we're split on this issue and we will come back to this. Does anyone want to move caucus sides? People were impressed with how many big words you used. I'm not going to take a revote because we've got a very hot topic here. One that Julia has been absolutely... Chomp, champing at the bit. Are you champing or are you chomping? I think you're champing at you the bit. Champ. You champ. Thank you. You're a champ. So the question is, should players who've been in the team during the year and got you to a grand final but don't get selected to play on the grand final day, should they get a medal? I think we've got a 4-6 split. I'm seeing some ups and some downs. I'm going to come to Shelley. She's the captain of Yes, Of Course They Should. Now, we celebrate team spirit all year. The one day in October, aka September, other years, we isolate the 22 and only celebrate them. All should be recognised because the 22 didn't achieve this greatness by themselves. Now, as young Julia is about to suggest, it's a participation award. Now, they are given to children, Julia, whose parents drive them there, they roll around on the grass and have made no contribution to the year for the whole entire year. Not the same, baby. Not the same. Oh, I love you playing Julia in our own game. All right, Julia, here you go. Here's your big moment. Why shouldn't they get the medal? Well, she really got my tone there. Um, <laughs> I think you'd be hard-pressed to actually find a player, an adult player, uh, who wants that medal. They want to have played in the game. They want to have been picked. Um, they, don't, they didn't want to be dropped and told they weren't good enough. They didn't want to be injured and have bad luck. They didn't want to uh, be reported and have to deal with the consequences of their own terrible behaviour. They wanted to be playing that game and the medal, giving them the medal, doesn't replace that. I think that you can still appreciate players who play during the year and let them know about their worth and those messages can come from the coach and the leadership group and the team itself I don't think it needs to be symbolized by the medal yeah I think that heartbreak happens in football and it happens on grand final day and you can't stop that from happening that's just how it is if anything you'd have 50 players so 
<laughs> For those of you playing along at home, Shelley's just flipping the bird to Julia. Very mature. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's my points. Well, I'm glad we waited so long for it. Has any any minds been changed? I think Rana's saying that she'd follow Julia to the ends of the earth, but we all would have done that before anyway. All right, we're going to see our first night grand final, one for the fireworks enthusiasts, but we took a vote and is the day grand final better and superior to a night grand final? We got 10 zip. We all think that a day grand final is better. Rana, why is that? I could start with tradition. But I might actually start with the fact that uh, if you wait till night time, everyone will be far too drunk from what I hear. Now, this is not from personal experience, but the research that I've gathered over the years tells me this. We've also got the whole family aspect of it. Daytime, families can enjoy. You can get it all done within the day and go to bed on time. Even getting to go to the game, there are probably elderly that would want to go, whereas nighttime might rule out a whole bunch of people who would find it hard to get to the game. Kids again. You also get to celebrate into the night. You would not have a rocking, rocking's a weird word, an amazing Swan Street just going off that everybody got to enjoy if you had a night time. It would just have gone straight to CD, and I don't want to say that. So I think daytime, we also get the uh, grand final breakfast into the game. It's just such a long wait. Anyway, in terms of actual footy, though, I also think the game would be better, especially up in Brisbane, less due. It would just be a better game. Speaking of a good game, I am quite sad that it's going to be shorter quarters because wouldn't you love just a nice dry day to see Dustin Martin and Dangerfield just absolutely have a ball and really have the length of time and space and great conditions to do what they do best. Uh, And I just think for us Melburnians in particular this year, we're all in bed at nine o'clock. Like who's staying up to watch a final? It's going to be really hard. That's my case, guys. I love it. Thank you, Rana. So it's mostly about partying and about Dangerfield (laughs) getting to put his triple linen suit back on after the game maybe with the jumper over the top because we're on the ABC we like to have viewpoints from both sides so while she doesn't believe it at all we're going to lure Tess Armstrong in to try and convince us otherwise that night is better she doesn't even believe it herself and in classic ABC form because of being the devil's advocate I've written Holland notes I think I believe that nighttime grand finals are better anyway Tarana's point first of all high school debating I'll debate I'll back a few of those points Tarana's drunk point all the drunkards will be asleep by the time we watch the grand final, so we get to watch it in peace. So they're not awake because they've had to go to bed or spew outside. And so therefore they're gone and clear. So you have a clear back. Uh, you can't do anything. You can't go anyway to the game because the corporates are there. You just turn brekkie into a grand final brunch in classic Melbourne style when we get the grand final back and then you head to a nighttime grand final and Richmond are better in the wet. So thank you, Ju. Now, to a nighttime grand final. At the moment, I'm finding myself very tired in the evenings. And one thing that was really handy, when remember when we went through Footy Festival 1 and 2? Footy Festival 2 had some real duds, like some real games that I was like, oh, in my heart, I want to stay awake and watch this. But my head says, this is the worst game ever. And also, I'm going to go to bed. And you so you can just go to bed. You don't have to hang around. You don't have to nap in the day. And then you wake up tired. You don't know who you are. So if it's boring grand final, hopefully it is because Richmond are winning by 150 points at quarter time. You can just go to bed at the normal time. Sun gets in your eyes in the day. The sun sucks. Sunburn, sun in your eyes, get rid of the sun. The orchestra is playing. Orchestra in the day is weird. Orchestra at night 
it's romantic. So orchestra at night. I'm rearranging the house at the moment because I've got a nursery coming. And Saturday is a good Bunnings day. So if you can get a whole lot of stuff done in the daytime and leave the nighttime free for the grand final, then that seems handy to me. Now, because Bunnings had, doesn't have a nighttime on Saturdays, guys. So you can't do it. Now, another couple of points. Traffic is better at nighttime. Therefore, the grand final is better at nighttime. The moon is cool and better than the sun. So, you know, nighttime. Uh, stars on and off the field. It's very romantic. So, you know, you can make a lot of commentary watch jokes. And D&Ms are better at nighttime than they are during the day. So hopefully our post-match speeches are deep and meaningful and we don't just get dusty yelling yellow and black. Have a change your minds because I've changed my mind. I'm fully on. <laughs> I had a stacked vote there and I still somehow lost that debate <laughs> we put you up against the lawyer though so what did you expect Rana you make some good points I think the Bunnings one's probably the best one of them all get some, get some um get some work done during grand final day okay our final topic is who's going to win the cats or the tigers it is six four in favor of the tigers we're going to come to the captain of the tigers it is Alicia sometimes yeah, because I'm the best person to speak about the Tigers uh, in this instance. I think Julia summed it up nicely, just what this will mean to a Richmond team and how elegant, how romantic it will be that they put on this triple play in four years. I mean, you've got 14 Tigers who will become triple premiership players and there's seven more that who've who've won twice so this is just icing on a big fat yellow and black cake and we all want to see the headline again that says Richmond invited Barty to the party um, because that's been going around at the moment so we want the the past tense of that to see Barty hand hand over the cup I just think it's going to be gorgeous the dusty v danger matchup it's going to be tense it's going to be amazing but I just like so many Melbournians so many AFL fans I've just got this absolutely irrational dislike of Geelong I apologize to all our Geelong fans out there the people who love them they probably feel the same way about Hawthorne or any other team but something about the cats and just their tenacity their talent even just annoys me so that's my technical side of it so go Tigers but I'm going to come to you Nicole because you are saying that the cats are going to win how are they going to do it well, I also have to go against my heart and soul because Hawthorne. But look, the reality is that they, when they're on, they're, they're on. They're playing. They've played some beautiful football. Dangerfield's basically unstoppable when he's when, on a good day. Um, Selwood's been so consistent throughout the year. I know Hawkins. Well, Hawkins is a common medalist, so he's done a lot. He's he's been a bit off lately, um, and right now he's got a sore throat and has been isolated. So, you know, he might be a big question mark. He might have thrown my argument a little bit today. But, you know, down forward, you've got Gary Rowan and amazing performances in the last few weeks from Cameron Guthrie, Brian Mears. I mean, there's a whole lot of talent in that side. You've got, the, it's the big names you've got to come back to ultimately. Gary Ablett, as, we, as uh, Julie was saying, is retiring. And if you think back to, you know, some very big names who have retired recently, Jared Ruffhead being one, even Poppy just a few weeks ago, Paul Poopolo. They played like games of their careers those last days, uh, that last game. So 
Gary Ablett on fire playing the game of his career. I defy anyone to try to take him on. He's got absolutely nothing to lose. And if there's one thing he knows how to do, it's how to turn it on in big games. And then Selwood and Dangerfield are near the end of their career. And of course, Danger, again, this is his first grand final, as Julia mentioned. He, he's done so much, but this one thing's escaped him. So in the end for me, grand finals or premierships are about heart and are about who wants it the most. In my mind, the Cats have so much at stake. And I think that that, in the end, will get them over the line. There's just, it's just too big a deal. And maybe the Tigers aren't as hungry as the Cats are right now. I'm getting faces from, from Tess and from Rana, um, which I will probably ignore. Oh, just, no. keep them, just keep them on mute. Just mute their, just stop mute. their video. Um, it's funny Plus, you should mention, so Ablett and Dangerfield are massive, but they're nothing without Selwood. And I just want to go to Felicity and ask her, will you be sending any messages of support via Twitter to Joel Selwood? <laughs> Yeah, I would love to. And some of them that came to mind was I, I saw the weather report. Looks like good weather for ducks on the weekend. And so it, it had in front of mind. But then I noticed, and can I just say, of all the sanctimers, even drill it down, of all the race sisters, I am the least prolific on social media. I mean, I think bad things. Sometimes I say them. But I don't tweet them. But do you know who's blocked me on Twitter? Joel Selwood. Like, why on earth? Would he be in my brain knowing what I actually think? So this alarms me a little bit because I think he's got a sixth sense. I'm going to say it out loud. I was really impressed by them. Not so much this week, week before. There was something that looked scary and unstoppable about them and I'd love to send him a go well message but can't. I cannot <laughs> believe he's blocked you on Twitter. It's hilarious because you're never on Twitter, but he somehow knows all the mean things that you say about him when he's playing. How do you know that you're being blocked or anyone for that matter? I guess I'm, I'm not checking people enough. Maybe everyone's blocked me. No, that sounds like I was creepy stalking, doesn't it? No, I saw a reference to a tweet that he'd done and I went to the primary source because I am a second tier journalist. I couldn't find the primary source because it said Joel Selwood has blocked you. And, of course, I screenshot it and shared it with everyone I could think of because it just actually amused me greatly. Maybe that's the explanation, Felicity. His tweets can only be seen by first-tier media. But you can all see it. Well, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> but uh... This is an intervention. This is what's going on here. It is at this point of the pod for the last year that we have been bringing you a song to introduce the fifth quarter, which we've really loved doing. And look, I was going to pretend that we didn't have one, but of course we have one. But I think the best way to introduce it is by way of Lucy reading out a message that she received this week. So I got a lovely little message this week by somebody's partner and it said, I just got home from work and... Julia is locked in a room singing some bogus version of Bohemian Rhapsody with gusto and I feel like you lot are somehow responsible. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a lockdown, no escape from 2020. Back at the start. Our hearts were all filled with glee. Covid came to town. Our worlds came crashing down. We've been stuck at home and 
But this year's changed what matters. What a year this 2020. <laughs> the song was too good. Congratulations, Kate Sia. You penned it. How <laughs> you all brought Legend. it. You've got beautiful voices. <laughs> I just want to give a huge thank you to Lucy's son, Geordie, who produced that track for us and took all of our separate tracks and I assume laid a lot of auto-tune on there so that it sounded vaguely bearable. Thank you, Geordie. I don't know whether he auto-tuned us. He did say two things. Once that he, one, that he came out of that realising that he actually is quite a good singer. And, <laughs> and secondly, he has the most hilarious outtakes because all of you just left him little messages saying, sorry, Geordie, and swearing as, you know, just through the track. So it was hilarious. It was hilarious and I've been singing Gil McLaughlin, Gil McLaughlin for a week and I hope you will too. You have to go to our socials because, of course, we couldn't just leave it as a song. We've got something else for you. So you'll need to go to our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram to get the full effect. But the thing we were going to do for the fifth quarter as a theme is um, we want to throw the ladder down. Shout out to a lady that has given us some joy in that you could follow, read, watch, listen to, whatever it could be. I'm going to come to you all in reverse alphabetical order so Tess you're up first well this seems like a complicated anyway my, one of my first ideas was to throw the letter down but I was throwing it down to Greta Gerwig so I'm not going to do that because I feel like she needs to throw the letter down to me and put me little women to like the Christmas special or whatever I'll shout out to Hester Brown and Marty Dangerfield for the Significant Others podcast if you haven't started listening to it it's just great. It's the best insight into so many women of football that you may or may not have heard from. And today I listened to one with Sarah Scott, which was a complicated time because she really made me like, like Chris Scott before the grand final. I was like, I should have listened after. Anywho, but highly recommend their pod. It's a lovely conversation and they're two awesome women in footy. A great suggestion. And our own Shelley Ware did appear on that podcast so you can catch up with that episode. Shell, what's your uh, fifth quarter recommendation? Let's turn to Darcy Vessio. She got me through the COVID on the Instagram. So much joy, so much fun. Love her. What about you, Rana? And I don't know if this is throwing the ladder down either because this woman is pretty prolific, but shouting out Sabrina Frederick, who has just started on SAS Australia, which is on Channel 7. Now, this is a show that takes 17 celebrities on the selection process for the Elite Army Special Forces, which... I'll be frank, is not my usual jam, but I'm tuning in to see Sabrina just absolutely kick butt in this show. And the thing I love about it yet again is, and I say this a lot on this pod, I just love seeing women do stuff that we don't normally see, especially on primetime television in Australia. And it's also just stuff that I would never do. Um, but the other thing is she's one of a few or she might be the only woman of colour on that show. And again, primetime television, women of colour, very few and far between. So regardless of what you think of it, I definitely think you should give it a go because it's actually very entertaining too. Great call. Nicole Hayes, what's your suggestion for the fifth quarter? 
given it is book week, I am going to recommend uh, an amazing best-selling New York Times, but also local author, Amy Kaufman, whose most recent book is The Other Side of the Sky. She is an incredibly talented, incredibly successful writer, but she's also the mo- one of the most generous people I know. And she runs her, all of her social media is about giving back. So much of what she does is about creating a positive energy around lifting other people up, elevating other voices. She uses her quite significant platform to elevate others um, most of the time and uh, more than anyone probably else I know, especially someone who doesn't need to. So Amy Kaufman's books, she's quite well known for the Illuminate series that she wrote with Jay Kristoff, but her most recent is The Other Side of the Sky. And I encourage you that she's written with Megan Spooner um, and she has a, a, a book coming out very soon too that she's written on her own. Amy Kaufman, everything that she's published, I encourage you to get behind it and follow her on social media. Thanks, Nick. What about you, Lucy? I want to do a little shout out to a pretty awesome woman who needs our help. And that woman is Mother Earth. My recommendation this week is David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet. Now, I know lots of people have already seen it. David Attenborough calls this his witness statement. And I get teary just thinking about that. He also calls it his vision for the future. If you haven't watched this, can you please go and watch it? And can you please encourage one more person to watch it? and so on and so on. It is heartbreaking, it is confronting, it is frightening, but he does include his vision for the future and that's where we all come in and it's really, really important because we're running out of time. And I know that's pretty heavy to say, but I just feel so strongly about it. So please watch it. Please encourage other people to watch it. Katie, what have you got for us? Uh, I wanted to do a shout out to a Twitter account which celebrates women. It's called Hashtag Women's Art. It's run by an art historian and every day they tweet images of women's art of all different kinds and from all different periods in history. So it's got photography, embroidery, sculpture, painting, fashion. It's really beautiful. The images that are shared there are really gorgeous. It's very diverse. It's fascinating. Like I'm really interested in seeing, you know, women's art from Africa and embroidery and pottery from the 1600s it's just so uh, such a range of things and it's also very uplifting and I recommend it it's a really nice follow and it always puts a smile on my face. Julia Kiera. Uh, well one thing that's kept me going this year is I have had to watch AFLM because what else was there to do and you, you know how much I love kind of mediocre male voices but what's been really nice <laughs> is hearing the lovely educated, interesting commentary, expert commentary from Daisy Pierce. Um, I think that this year, you know, she was put into that role of being the expert commentator instead of being a boundary writer. And so we've just been able to hear her excellent insights into what's happening on the field, what what strategies playing out, what changes need to be, what changes need to be made. And she just does it in a very thoughtful way. I'm presuming from Melbourne and just from what she sees on the screen. And it's just so nice to hear, to hear that in that kind of really mainstream footy world. Yeah, she's been great and it hasn't gone unnoticed. Felicity, what about you? Can I start by congratulating you on your reverse alphabet? Because that was making me anxious. You've really nailed that. My shout out is not to one, it's to nine. And this year I very firmly shifted from participant to listener. And I'm going to cry, but... (laughs) You guys each week have impressed me 
inspired, educated, and absolutely entertained me through lockdown. It's such a great gift to actually hear a show that I've had nothing to do with putting together each week and be blown away each and every week by what you guys have done. So my shout out, oh my God, I'm a sook. My shout out is to our listeners to, when you finish this episode, go and tell a friend to start listening. Tell them not to start with this one because we don't want them to hear the singing and never come back. But go back to some of the really good ones and bring more people along because the more people who join and listen, the better football's going to be. So thank you, everyone. That was unexpectedly nice of you and I'm, and I'm not quite coping. And less out of, out of character. And really we would never character. block you. I don't know. Your job misses out on. <laughs> Alicia, what was your shout out? I've just spent my whole time in this lockdown doing, you know, under the covers, reading and listening to stuff and not watching too much sports because it... it I've just felt really quite isolated. It's been a huge, overwhelming year. So I've spent a lot of time on Twitter not following Joel Selwood. Shout out to you. So there's just three women I'd really like to thank and and say go see. And that's Katie Mack, who's an astrophysicist, who wrote a book, The End of Everything. There's something about the end of the universe and how we might all die one day that makes me feel better about life. It's just made me feel connected to other people and want to hold other people. So that's kind of strange. She's Astro at Astro Katie. Nakia Louie, who you may know, an amazing Australian actor, writer and comedian. I just love looking at her Twitter feed. She makes me laugh. She's amazing. And Dr. Joelle Gurgis, who wrote, I'd never thought I'd live to see the horror of planetary collapse about climate change. Just following on what Lucy said there, she just writes about how we have to protect the planet and yeah we just have to love each other and so by thinking about the end of everything I'm thinking about the beginning of everything so that's my call that's so beautiful you guys have done a great job um I just want to do a shout out as well it's really just to a couple of people on Twitter who every single week for the last couple of weeks have made sure that we're all okay Kate P Kate Burke Kate Hawes there's three Kates there they're all listeners and Robin of Ramston Street you are always there for us. You listen to every episode. There's a bunch of you that do, but I'm just pulling out those four just to say to all the listeners that we see you and we are so grateful to you. And I, the thing that makes me so happy is when I see that there's people who have become friends because they listen to our podcast. So do invest in the people that we talk to on Twitter. They're your people too. I just wanted to put a shout out there for the community. You've really held us up. It's been an absolute horror show this year and the 10 of us have gone through the tunnel. It's been horrific in lots of ways for all of us and you've really been there and you've caught us and you've made us feel loved and we've done all this remotely and we're just really grateful because we feel like you've been there to really see us and still value us and we can't wait to be back with you in 2021 which is in about two weeks for the AFLW which I hope that we'll represent you again as well as we can and I hope that we're able to see you in the outer to actually hug and have a beer and have a pie and not have to wear masks but we'll see how that goes 
thank you so much to our families for all of the support as well that you've given us this year. It's been an extra load and we really appreciate it. Thank you to the ABC. Thank you most especially to you, our gorgeous listeners, because without you, there is none of this. Well, there is as a chat group, but no one wants to see that. So as we get out of here for the final time for this year that's gone for a million years, there is only one thing left to say. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.